chase is for Joe Scally. Scally for a first senior goal to win the game, and he has done. What a moment for the young American. At 18 years of age, his maiden professional goal. It's 14 now, and Buzio, it's deflected, and heartbreak for Cagliari. Gianluca Buzio gets the equaliser in stoppage time to deny Cagliari what was looking like their first win of the season. The American with his first goal of the season. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Scalarseb, and it is Saturday, right before the October international fixture window. World Cup qualifiers are almost here, and we now know the roster and the players who will play for the U.S. men's national team in October's qualifiers. We will dig into the roster, who made it, who didn't make it, who should have made it, who shouldn't have made it. We'll touch on all of those things. We'll also obviously get into Americans Abroad. This weekend is already underway, as you heard with the intro. We've got some teenagers scoring goals, one of them who's in the camp and in the group for the October qualifiers, another one who isn't, which I will get into in detail. And obviously we'll get into some MLS. There was a full slate of MLS matches on during the week, midweek matches, 13 in total. And actually there were 14 matches with MLS teams because the Columbus crew won the Campeones Cup, which if you don't know what that is, you're not alone. It's another one of these MLS creations, uh, but credit to the crew. They won. They played a, a Mexican team. They won with a trophy on the line. Give them some credit for that. But MLS just has so many games. You have 27 teams, full Wednesday schedule and now this weekend obviously they're they're uh, rattling off more matches heading toward the playoffs we can get into that we'll give you our picks for the weekend games of course and hopefully you're actually listening to some of these picks because i i think you'd be doing all right if you listen and you and if you're into gambling if you're into betting which is legal in the u.s in certain states anyway you might want to listen and not bet on every game but hopefully you're getting some advice that helps you along the way we'll get into that of course, and some other topics and issues surrounding American soccer. But first, we have to start with the U.S. men's national team. And the roster, Greg Berhalter, has called in for the October qualifiers. And as we always expect, there's always going to be a little controversy. There's always going to be players who miss out who are surprises, players who are included that are surprises. And I know some people will say, well, why can't? Why does it have to be this way? Why can't it just be the players that everyone wants, quote unquote, that the fans want? That, you know, why can't it be a, you know, they should just have a poll on USsoccer.com and let the fans pick the roster, right? I think that's what some fans would want, but obviously that's not what, what's happening. Greg Berhalter picks his squad. He picks his players. Sometimes he's going to go with guys that he sees fitting better. He sees being in better form, having more experience. And we've, we have it again. We have it this time around. With some of the picks that he made and didn't make. And obviously, first things first, uh, when you look at the list of players who didn't make it, uh, for me, the first name that jumps out, and he was mentioned in the intro, Joe Scally. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and go too crazy because, look, we're talking about an 18 year old fullback who's never played in World Cup qualifiers before, but I thought he would make the squad. I thought he should make the squad. I thought he has enough of a body of work now playing for Borussia Mönchengladbach, that it was worth the gamble. And before we even kind of get into the players, we should talk about the roster size. Because as I said the last episode that we had, I thought Greg Berhalter would learn his lesson on why it's good to have a larger roster. Now, 
it needs to be stated that people should understand that at a certain point, it can be a little counterproductive to have too large a roster because at the end of the day, this is not a game of FIFA where you're just making a list and you're just pulling players off that list. When you have a group of players, you have to work with them in training. You have to incorporate them. And at a certain point, if you have too many players and you're, you know, you got guys just standing around or you have to kind of, it's just becomes too many. So that's kind of why, you know, traditionally you have like, you know, whether it's 20 to 24 and once you get more and more than that, you, it can be an issue where it's like, okay, this is too many players. Now, I so I, I fully respect that idea, but I will say I was surprised that Berhalter only went with one more, technically one more player, though it's really two more players because Tim Weah didn't make, he was injured before the team reported the camp in September. So you, you, you ended up this time around with uh, a 27-player roster which is one more than the initial 26-player roster in September. Only one more. And that feels a little light, I got to say. And we already have our first change from the announcement because the announcement was on Wednesday. Tim uh, Tim Ream has has pulled out for family reasons. He will not take part. West uh, Walker Zimmerman is in. He has replaced him. That's the, the, the bit of news that broke on Friday uh, as we're recording this on Saturday. And some of the, the key storylines to get into as far as the roster goes. I already mentioned Scally a little bit, but for me, obviously, Weston McKinney returning to the team. I don't know if anyone should really be surprised by that. He did the time. He missed a few matches, and you'd like to hope that he learned his lesson there. And I don't I don't really get the sense that there were that many people who were uh, screaming for blood and wanting, uh, wanting him, McKinney to serve some kind of long suspension. I think, if anything, the consensus is, look, you know what? He did what he did. He paid the cost. He missed a few matches. You would hope that he learned his lesson from that, but now it's time to bring him back. Because at a certain point, and I feel like I said this before, at a certain point, you know, there's punishing him and then there's punishing the team. And he is an important part of the team. It doesn't mean you ignore what he did, um, but obviously you didn't ignore it because you suspended him. You, he missed two matches. Now he's back and you need him. And he's going to be an important part of the team uh, uh, for these October qualifiers. Obviously, look, is he in the best form with Juventus right now? No, but... He's still uh, such a good player that you, you you bring him in, and that doesn't mean you ignore what he did, but you've obviously put him through that. He obviously is going to have to kind of re-establish himself and res- try to you know earn back some of the respect maybe that he lost, some of the standing that he has lost in the group. We're talking about someone who has been kind of considered one of the leaders in the locker room just because of his personality, just being kind of this outspoken person and, and really a strong personality. And obviously on the field, he's such a important part of the team. So he means a lot to this team, but now with what he did, he's got to try to gain back some of that trust that that he lost uh, with what he did in September. And when you listen to Greg Berhalter, it's pretty clear that Greg Berhalter isn't here to hold grudges, isn't here to, to hold it against him forever. As far as Greg Berhalter is concerned, this is now in the past and it's time to move on. Now, obviously, the big news, uh, and it's, it wasn't really a surprise, Christian Pulisic, Giorena, not on this team. They're both still recovering from the injuries they suffered in September. And that's obviously a huge blow. Uh, and and the if anything, it wasn't a shock because they, these players have not been playing. They haven't played since the, the they were injured in September. So you're talking about three, about three or four weeks now that they've been out of action for their club teams. So fans have had re, had plenty of time to kind of accept this possibility. And I know uh, there was that hope and that idea that maybe Christian Pulisic would, would recover in time. And that obviously didn't happen. Giorena just has really been hurt seriously. And it, it doesn't seem like the timetable's there. Although the, uh, the Russian Dortmund manager uh, came out 
uh, this week and said he's hoping to have him back healthy after the international break. So if he's back after the international break, you hopefully he, you hope that he gets back into the rotation with Dortmund, gets the minutes, gets into form, and then you hopefully have Giorina for November when you're playing Mexico. And we all know how important that game is, the U.S. home qualifier against Mexico in Cincinnati in November. That's a big one. And as much as I, yes, it's definitely uh, a bit of a gut punch, and it's obviously disappointing not to have Pulisic and Reina now. If you can have them healthy, in form, playing, available for Mexico, that I mean, that for me, honestly, is much more important. And look, all qualifiers matter. The points, uh, they're all they're all weighted the same. I get that. But if you're going to beat Mexico, you need Pulisic, you need Reyna. You need your absolute best possible squad if you can get it together. If you can have them be healthy, you want them for November. Do you need Pulisic and Reyna to beat Jamaica? to beat uh, Costa Rica, to beat Panama. Not necessarily. You have other players, you have depth, you have other options. Um, but if you can ensure that they can, you know, they stay healthy. Because I know some people are like, well, bring them anyway, bring them now. You know, even if it's only one game, uh, even if it's off the bench for a few minutes, like you got, you have to, you have to be a little careful now. Because if anything, we saw in September that an injury can cost you not just those games in that window. They can cost you the next window. If you rush these guys back, and not to say that that was even an option, because we don't know how close these guys are at this point um, to playing. So, you know, as much as Greg Berhalter said he wasn't ruling out the possibility completely of if he had to bring them in in this window, but he's he's not bringing them in. I, I don't think anyone should expect that. But it, people need to understand that that is that a risk worth taking anyway? Because of what it could mean down the road, because, you know, these guys already, even if you could bring them in and have them play some minutes and and maybe get into a game here or there, is that is that reward worth the risk of maybe them getting re-injured, getting a serious injury and missing all of November? And there's only two qualifiers in November, but still. That's two important qualifiers. You do not want to take that chance. So people need to understand that. And I, I, I honestly, I haven't gotten a sense that there's this real clamoring for, hey, bring them in anyway. I think people have re- most reasonable fans understand that. Look, you know what? We've just seen these guys miss a whole month. Let's not take the chance. They're too important. And that Mexico game, you want to have all hands on deck. You want to have the full strength U.S. team against the full strength Mexican team. See who's the top dog in CONCACAF. Right now, Mexico's the top dog in terms of the standings of, of, of the octagonal. But if you have Reina and you have Pulisic, as we saw in the Nations League final, the U.S. can beat Mexico. So we'll see what happens there. But let's talk about the players who are in the squad. I've already talked about players who, not, who aren't in the squad. We did talk about Weston McKinney. But let's break it down real quick. At striker, that's really kind of one an area that, that a lot of heads were turned with the decisions that Greg Berhalter made, because he has called in, as we all expected, Ricardo Pepe. He called in Ricardo Pepe, but then he calls in Jossie's artists and Matthew Hoppy. And Matthew Hoppy is, you know, he's played as a winger for the U.S. He obviously played there in the Gold Cup, but he is, he plays as a striker. He's played as a striker mostly for in his club career. He has the versatility to play both, but that is your strike force. Those are your strikers. No Jordan Pifak and no Josh Sargent. And I'll be honest, that was a surprise to me. And I said that I said at the last episode that I thought this was an opportunity or a situation where you're going to probably have to try to bring four strikers because I saw Zardis. Zardis was going to be there. I said it. I, I honestly, I just did not. I did not see how Berhalter would not call in a healthy Zardis just because of his experience. 
and the his familiarity with the system. And obviously, Berhalter, uh, you know, he values Zardis quite a bit. And Zardis, look, he showed well in the Gold Cup. And I know, you know, people, some people might want to just ignore that or have already forgotten it. But he did show well in the Gold Cup. And he's played in these games before. He's played in World Cup qualifiers before. So I always saw him being in this group. What I did not see is Jordan Peefock not getting the call. And that was a surprise to me. If you're asking me what kind of my biggest surprises were from the roster in terms of guys who didn't make it or guys who did make it, Jordan Peefock and Joe Scally, those are two that for me, I was kind of like, whoa, I, I, especially Peefock. I thought Peefock was a no-brainer because he's actually scoring goals for his club team. He's playing well. He, he obviously had the, the, the goal against Manchester United to beat Manchester United, which, to be fair, Jesse Lingard obviously set it up, but P-Fox still had to score that goal. And then he went on, he scored in two straight more, two more games in a row for his club team, Young Boys, and he, so he's in form, he's playing with confidence. So for me, when you have a striker with that, playing with that kind of confidence, you bring him. Uh, and Greg Berhalter did address this. He addressed the decision and what it came down to, in his opinion, is that he believes that the strikers that he has, Pepe and Zardes, and, you know, he called Hoppy kind of a half striker, half winger, but he believes that Pepe and Zardes can give the team the aerial threat that PFOC specializes in, but they also give you the speed that maybe PFOC does not have in terms of being able to get in behind. And that was something that Berhalter stressed in in his, his call with the media uh, last week, is that for him, he didn't feel like the attack had enough of that threat of getting in behind the strikers obviously a little more in, in the hold up play when you talk about Sargent and Pfog neither of them is going to blow by anybody they don't have that kind of pace Pepe has a, has more pace he can get behind people as we've seen uh, Zardes does have the pace to get in behind he has more pace than than, than Sargent or Pfog uh, but I was still surprised about Pfog just because of the form that he's in um, and Berhalter obviously he has his preferences and we'll see if it's, you know, ultimately what happens there. Hoppy's the one that I was a little like, okay, so we're actually potentially now going to see Hoppy at striker. And that's an interesting one because yes, he can play. He's played there for his club, but I just think with his qualities and with the lack of wing options right now, especially with Pulisic and Reina out, I think we are more likely to see Hoppy as a winger than as a striker, even though. Berhalter mentioned that, yes, he sees Hoppy as someone that he can use as a striker. Now, as far as the winger position, that that's obviously an area where when you don't have Pulisic, you don't have Reina, you you know, you're obviously right there in the, you know behind the eight ball in terms of your options. But, eh, you know, you would have thought, OK, Tim Weah is back. He's healthy. He's in form. That's great. That's, you know, no surprises there. I always saw him coming in, especially with the form that he's in. He would have been in a September but he got injured, as we remember. He's the easy call. The one that was another one of the surprises in terms of the players who were not included on the list with Scali and Pifak, Conrad De La Fuente. And he's one that you automatically, at least me personally, I would have thought, okay, you don't have Reina, you don't have uh, Pulisic, then Conrad De La Fuente ha- can play a bigger role. Now, we, we should state he didn't really show well against El Salvador. He got the opportunity to play in the qualifier in September, didn't really do much. Didn't really show much. And if you're Burhalter and you're kind of giving this young guy the chance, and he's someone who, to be fair, with the national team, has never really kind of shown the the flashes of of of, of great ability that we obviously see him show with Marseille, especially at the beginning of the season with Marseille. 
Conrad Conrad was playing amazingly at the start of the a league on season, uh, getting games, setting up goals, uh, just being a real attacking threat. Now, after the September qualifiers, he actually lost his hold on the starting job at Marseille. And he's been pretty much, I think he's only started one match since the September qualifiers. And so from that standpoint, he's not necessarily in the best form. He's not in the form that he was in. In uh, heading into the September matches. So if you're Berhalter and you're looking at that, is this Berhalter overthinking things and saying, you know what? I, I don't think he's in the, in the same form. I don't like what I saw. I don't know if that's overthinking things or just an opinion as a coach. And I, you know, when you look at it, I don't know if you can argue with it. You can't, you, I don't, you can't, for me, you can't argue that, Ber- that De La Fuente played well in September. He didn't. He didn't play well in the friend, in the qualifier in September against El Salvador. He is not in the same form post September qualifiers that he was pre-September qualifiers. So those things, I don't think you can argue them. But I still think you find a way to get him in. And that's where the roster size, for me, as much as I'm not I'm not going to be here part of, uh, part of the group that says, oh, call in 40. Why can't you call in 40 guys? Like, that's not realistic. I'll say that right off the bat. But if you're talking 27, right, um, if you call in 30, and the three you, you call is thirty really gonna be super detrimental to the to the setup of the camp, uh, especially when you are not gonna bring players from the UK UK based players to the game in Panama, which is what Berhalter said on Wednesday. He says not bringing in uh, the UK players; they're going straight to they're going straight from Austin, Texas, where the Jamaica game is, to Columbus, where the Costa Rica game is. So. If you're already going to be a bit on the short side, why wouldn't you go 30? And for me, if you go 30, that gives you three spots. And the three spots, PFOC, Del- uh, Conrad De La Fuente, and Joe Scali. So for me, I, like, I don't know. I thought that I, that seemed like a simple solution. And I just don't like, I don't see why he didn't do that. And I will, like, I could kind of understand, okay, if he's saying, you know, that's too many in terms of operating training and, and having guys that, ju- you know, you just have too many bodies that, that aren't going to be able to, to be incorporated, I guess. But I don't know. For me, I think 30, you could have gone 30. You absolutely could have gone 30, but he's going with 27. And because of that, we have this situation with these players who who could have been in but aren't in. Now, Del Fuente's not in, but Paul Ariola is back. If you're making a list of players who are kind of the 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 biggest like whipping boys of the uh the US fan base, obviously, uh, you know, Christian Roldan is one, Paul Ariola is absolutely one. Uh, you know, the MLS contingent uh, generally speaking, Sebastian Legette, Jesse's artist. But Ariola is one who you know, I for me, I think look, does he does he need to finish better? Yes. But does he the idea that he never creates chances that he never gets into dangerous positions? It's like, did you watch the Gold Cup final? I mean, he did create chances. He didn't finish them, but he got into positions and he's played in in qualifiers before he's played on the road before he started in Azteca, which I think people tend to forget in uh, 2017. So he has more World Cup qualifying experience than the bulk of this roster. So even though he missed September because of the, because of the injury that he had. He's back. He's playing well for D.C. He's had some good games. So he's in a good run of form coming back in. And it, it, I, I know the immediate question is going to be, well, is he actually better than De La Fuente? And that's that's what you know. I think people will look at it and say, OK, who's better? And when it comes down to it, does De La Fuente have talent and potential and upside and 
value in terms of a transfer player, a player in terms of transfer value? Yes, absolutely. He's a he's significantly younger. He has more upside. And if you're asking me who would I would take, who would I take to help build a team around? Yes, Delafuente because he has that upside. But in, in terms of right now, in terms of helping you now, this week, these next matches, World Cup qualifiers, experience in qualifiers, Ariola has that advantage. And Ariola has been starting. And <clears throat> does he need to finish? Yes, absolutely. If he gets chances, it's not enough to get chances. You got to finish them, right? I get that. And I'm and absolutely that's a fair criticism of Ariola, and it's been one for his career. But if he can create chances and he can wreak havoc on the wing, then he will then that will be the job and he will do the job. And it would be one thing if Delafuente had taken his previous opportunities with the national team and made things happen and created goals and scored goals and set up goals then that's then it'd be a much more of an argument for me then it'd be more okay like what is Berhalter thinking results are there this guy produces he's produced with the national team how do you not bring him in that's a that's a much that's a that would be a completely fair argument then but he hasn't done it he hasn't taken advantage of these opportunities, and that's opened the door now for a player like Ariola, who has more of a, more experience, who's played in qualifiers, who's in good form now with his club with DC United. So that's why he's in. And for me, I'm bringing both in, but Berhalter's decided. You know what? I'm going with the veteran. I'm gonna let Conrad stay at Marseille, and hopefully, that staying there will help him regain his spot. <clears throat> and that's something else to consider as well. Is that as a coach, yes, you're obviously thinking about your games, your qualifiers. How do I win these games? How do I best uh, put a roster together that helps me win this game, these games? But there's also at a certain point that you are weighing what the impact of fringe call-ups are. And if you have players who are on the fringes who might not necessarily play, and, and but yet you'd have to bring them in, you'd have to take them away from their team, even though it's an international break. When players aren't on national team duty, being with their teams during the breaks can help. There is some value in that, in getting some extra work. And, and you know, especially if you have new coaches and you're, you're continuing to develop rapports with the new coaching staff. All those things are, are things to factor in, right? So if you have a choice between two players for one of your fringe roster spots, right? And you have a player who... If potentially could lose his job or who potentially doesn't have a rock solid hold on the starting position, are you going to bring him in when he probably won't play? And I think that's something that Burhalter has to weigh and does weigh. I think he absolutely weighs that kind of factor when he's factoring in, which he did in September, which Gianluca Busio had just arrived at Venezia and he could have absolutely brought him in for the September qualifiers. But he saw the value in leaving him at Venezia. Letting him settle in, letting him uh, work on and develop his rapport with his new team, with his new coaching staff, settle into Venice, living in Venice and all those things instead of just having him come in when he wasn't probably going to get on the field for those September qualifiers. And what happens? Busio settles in. He he gets comfortable. He earns a starting job and he has been on a roll. And guess what? Now he's ready for October, for the October qualifiers. And he can absolutely start in the October qualifiers. Let's not rule that out. So, you know, I think people sometimes, obviously the reaction, and I'm the same way, like I'll react initially also and say, wait a minute, Joe Scally, I would have had Joe Scally on. I wasn't shocked. I I wasn't completely like blown away that he wasn't shocked, wasn't called in because I could kind of see that, but I would have called him in and I would have called him in over a Shaq Moore with Shaq Moore not playing right now. 
with Tenerife. He's not playing. He's on the bench. Uh, he lost his starting job uh, when he came back from the Gold Cup. He was on the bench, and he's and he hasn't been able to get the starting job back. So, uh, you know, I, so you know, for fans, fans to react the way they do to certain decisions, it's completely fair, and everyone's entitled to to have their opinions and have these reactions. And the other thing I would say is that sometimes you can take a step back and try to see the method to the madness. And one thing I'll give Berhalter some credit for is that he does try to offer some detailed insight into his decision making and we haven't always had that we haven't always had that with u.s coaches uh in terms of really giving detailed explanations and you don't have to agree with the thinking you don't have to agree with with why you know the decisions that are being made but i think there you know there's some respect earned when people actually try to explain themselves and i thought there was an interesting exchange between thierry henry and greg berhalter uh, d- during the midweek of uh, Champions League, uh, the Champions League coverage with CBS Sports, uh, Thierry Henry is now part of the of the Champions League coverage with CBS Sports, and he they interviewed Berhalter, and Thierry Henry asked Berhalter about Jordan Pifak and not bringing in Jordan Pifak, and Berhalter gave a very detailed explanation, and and Henry kind of was like, you know what, I respect it. He gave me he gave me the why, he gave me the uh, explanation. You don't have to agree with it. But if at least you can kind of piece together the logic and understand the logic, then you can kind of respect why a coach gets to a point, to a decision. Uh, and sometimes coaches ha- have their own kind of, you know, whether it's tactical, whether it's having a, a certain understanding about how these players fit with each other, how they fit in the system, how they grasp the system. Uh, there's so many factors, so many factors. So for me, I, I, like I totally get and I'm the same way. I'll have these initial reactions where I'm like, wait, what? Why? Why is this guy in? Why is this guy not in? But sometimes it's good to take a step back and try to try to figure out the why. And not just listen to Berhalter give you the why, but also try to look, you know piece it together on your own. So I know we've gone on this complete rant, complete tangent talking about all that. But let's get to the midfield. Gianluca Busio, Yunus Musa, Luca Delator are in. And... Obviously, you have, you know, Brendan Aronson, who you can say plays on, you know, he can play on the wing. He probably more than likely will play on the wing now with with no Reina and no Pulisic. But I'm very interested to see Busio and Yunus Musa and see if they can play their way into starting roles in this window. And I think uh, in terms of lessons that Burhalter learned in September, I feel like he definitely learned the lesson that it's important to rotate. Rotate your squad. It's important to, you know, fresh legs matter. And if you have the type, if you have the options, if you have players that you can trust to plug in and start to keep you fresh and to get and, and to help spread out those minutes, then you need to do it. And I think with that in mind, I think you're going to see Busio start at least one of these games, if not two. And I think you think I think you'll see Yunus Musa start. Um, he's he's been back with Valencia. He came back off his injury. He's been playing regularly. He's not starting regularly, but he's getting minutes. He's coming off the bench. He's had a few actually pretty long substitute appearances uh, where he's come on at halftime. He came on one game in early in the first half due to an injury and played a ton. So he's getting plenty of minutes. And as much as it's not necessarily on the wing, he's still playing minutes in La Liga in attacking roles. And I want to see what he can do. I, it, like we've already seen a nice little sample a nice little preview of what Musa can give you in terms of his strength on the ball, his ability to turn, his ability to pass and dribble at people. Like he, he, you know, and I'm not always a fan of comparing players, but 
as much as everyone, you know, there was always that hope of Darlington Nagby kind of becoming uh, someone that's a regular starter for the national team because of his unique qualities, his hold up play, his strength on the ball. And you don't really have that in the pool. Uh, now, Yunus Musa, I think, can give you some of that. He can absolutely give you some of that. So for me, I really want to see him. Uh, get an opportunity and start in one of these games. And which one? That's a that's a question. Whether it's you know, do you start him on the road in Panama, or do you start him against Costa Rica in a very good veteran Costa Rican midfield? One way or the other, he for me should start one of these games, and uh, it's going to be up to Berhalter to figure out which one. Uh, and then obviously Busio, as I said, I think he starts at least one, probably two matches. I would start him with two. Uh, and then you have Luca Delator, who I know a lot of U.S. fans uh, or a decent number of U.S. fans were clamoring for Luca Delator to get called in. He's in good form. He's playing for for Heracles in the Netherlands. Uh, I personally don't like. I don't rate him more than a Julian Green. I think Julian Green. If you're asking me who I'm bringing in between the two, I'm bringing in Julian Green ten times out of ten. But Burhalter likes what he sees, and you know, by all accounts, I will say it does seem like. Delator has definitely rounded out his game well in terms of being more of a two-way player. Because for those of us who, for those of you who remember him with the under twenties, the under twenty team playing in the under twenty, under 20 World Cup, he was very much an attacking player, very much kind of a more of a uh, attacking midfielder. Uh, didn't necessarily give you that two-way ability, that two-way work rate that is really important, and you really need that. And especially in this system, like you can't carry someone. In this the the this, the four three three that Berhalter likes to play, you can't really have someone there who isn't going to do the work and be that two way player, that box to box player. Luca Delator, by all accounts, now at Heracles has improved that part of his game. He does cover more ground, and he's playing deeper now. If you see the setups with Heracles when they show when they play, he's playing deeper. So when you factor all that in, I can see why. Berhalter is liking what he's seeing in terms of him rounding out his game. Having said all that, I still don't get the deal with Julian Green. I think he'd be a great fit. I think stylistically he would be well suited to play in the U.S. system. And he just hasn't gotten his chance. And it really comes down to a matter of preference with Berhalter. He does not necessarily rate Green as much as everyone else, it seems like. Because it's a pretty long list of players now who have gotten opportunities ahead of Julian Green, who's continuing to play in the Bundesliga. He's playing for, for Greta Firth, and obviously Firth is, you know, they're near the they're going to be relegated more than likely from the Bundesliga, so they're not a great Bundesliga team, but he's playing well, or he, you know, he started off, he played okay and against Bayern. I thought he had a pretty good game, so he's someone who I think it's just, it's unfortunate that he does. He can't get in. He can't get that opportunity. The guy has experience. He's obviously played in the World Cup. He's played. He played France. We remember the the friendly against France when he scored the goal in 2018. So, I, for me, I would really like to see him in a camp and really like to see him get a real opportunity to play in games for the U.S. to show how he fits. And we all saw Delator get the opportunity earlier in the year in the friendly. He came on. He turned some heads and he impressed. He, in, in, in the in the limited opportunity he got. He impressed. And that limited opportunity was enough to convince a lot of U.S. fans, hey, we need to see more of him. And I think if you give Julian Green that chance, it could absolutely lead to people saying, hey, you know what? We should see more of him. And Berhalter sees these guys in camp. He had Julian Green in camp. He had Luca Delator in camp. So he 
you know what? He gets to see these guys. He gets to see how they fit in a way that, you know, we don't see, we don't see that part of the thing. We don't see that part of the sausage making process, right? Uh, of Berhalter working with these players, getting a feel for them, seeing them in training, see, seeing how they operate, right? So obviously a lot of that factors into when he makes these decisions. So does that mean I I get it and I agree that with him choosing Delator over Green? No, it's not not at all. But obviously he's seeing things we're not seeing, and that's going into the decision making process. And he likes Delator, and let's see what he can do. I, I'm not opposed to wanting to see what this player can do who I didn't necessarily see being called in or not being someone that I I would call in, but. I can respect the fact that he's playing regularly. He's playing well. He's improving areas of his game that were weaknesses. And that's all the kind of, those are all things you like to see. So we'll see if he gets an opportunity. To be fair, if you look at the midfield, he's probably the last name on this list in terms of the pecking order. When you have Weston McKinney, obviously, who's going to start. Tyler Adams, who's going to start. Kellen Acosta, who will start a couple of these matches. Sebastian Lejet, who will get minutes. Christian Roldan, who should get minutes off the bench. So there's a lot of there's a lot of people to battle with there for Luca Delatore. And that's not even talking about Busio and Musa. So the midfield, the good news is there are options. And that's what you you definitely love to see. So for, for me, I, you know, I'm not gonna get too crazy about Julian Green not being there, but I think he should be there. I think he should get an opportunity. Um that's not gonna be what ultimately cost this team points. But I think maybe in the bigger picture, there might they might be missing out on a player who who I think would be a pretty good fit in this group. I know I barely talked about Tyler Adams, and you know I don't think I was alone in kind of holding my breath after the reports of a, a muscle issue keeping Tyler Adams out of action last week for for RB Leipzig, and everyone's like, uh oh, he's the one guy. If you're the you, if you want to talk about the U.S. and players who cannot be replaced, who's the most irreplaceable player on the entire roster, the entire player pool? It's Tyler Adams. Just because the drop off. No offense to Kellen Acosta, who has proven himself to be a pretty viable fill in, a pretty viable replacement option as a defensive midfielder. But the drop off from Tyler Adams to everyone else in the pool in the defensive midfield role is considerable. So when Adams came back and actually saw some playing time, there was definitely a sigh of relief. Uh, and obviously the next day the roster came out and, and Adams was on it. And he is going to be a big part of every qualifying window he's in. Having said all that, Berhalter has to be careful. He has to be careful because he cannot play him 270 minutes again. It's just you can't do it. You really would be taking a real chance there if you do that. And I know he did it in September. And it worked out for the most part, as much as, you know, maybe the first half of the Honduras game, Adams looked a little sluggish. He didn't look at his best, at it didn't look himself, which was understandable. But here we are again, three October matches. He's coming off of not, you know, he hasn't been playing as consistently every minute for, for Leipzig in, in recent matches. He's, he had this, mu you know, muscle muscle issue, which, again, we don't even know the specifics. We don't even know the in the specific muscle. We don't know what the issue was. All we were told. The only thing RB Leipzig ever, ever put out was muscle issue. And it obviously was probably a precautionary move with, with, with such an important Champions League game uh, in the midweek. They ended up losing it. But still, important Champions League game. You didn't need Tyler Adams to beat Hertha Berlin, which they smoked 6-0. <clears throat> But you cannot 
play Tyler Adams 270 minutes again in October. Because guess what? You want to make sure or you want to do everything in your power. Obviously, points matter. The points in October matter. But you also don't want to risk not having him in November. You want Tyler Adams against Mexico. You that's just you. If you're going to beat Mexico, you need Tyler Adams, in my opinion. Could you could you beat him without him? Possibly. But you, if you want him on the field to beat Mexico, and um, so for that, for, for, from that standpoint, for me, you don't play him every. You don't start him every game. You don't play him every minute. Uh, you have to figure that out. For me, he starts against Jamaica because the first three points, you know, that's big. And I think you need Tyler Adams down in Panama because that game is going to be a, a battle. It's going to be a physical battle. He's going to be important to that. And uh, you know, maybe you let him you let him sit against Costa Rica, or if you want to start him and then you know pull him a little earlier, or maybe manage minutes during the week. And, and who knows if you, maybe you're beating uh, Jamaica comfortably and you can pull him out in the 60th, 65th, and manage minutes that way. Whatever you got to do, you can't have him anywhere near 270 minutes out of these three qualifiers. You want him closer to 200, 220, if you can, if you can help it. Because he's not 100%. Like, you, you, there's something going on there. Uh, obviously, with the muscle issue, precautionary or not, he is not 100%, period. He's not. Like, so, that, like, that's for me. I, just speaking kind of from a concerned standpoint, he's too important. So, Berhalter has to be careful. And I, and I think he understands that. Uh, and and you do have some other players there that that can pick up the slack and, and take some of these minutes off his off his plate. Now let's talk about defenders. And uh, the one big surprise, obviously for me anyway, was Joe Scally not getting the call. And look, he's eighteen, he's young, but he's played six straight matches for Munching Gladbach in all competitions. Actually, it's now seven, and he scored the the game the the goal at the end to clinch the win for Munching Gladbach against Wolfsburg. His first goal, his first Bundesliga goal, his first. My, I think it might be his first professional goal. I could be wrong there. But that was a little bit of a surprise. And it was a surprise for a few reasons. Number one, obviously, he's playing well for a Bundesliga team in the Bundesliga, playing high-level competition. That's one. Number two, you have Reggie Cannon with his injury slash winter transfer stash, whatever's going on with Reggie Cannon at Boavista where he's not playing. Right? You have that, number one. Shaq Moore has been stuck on the bench at Tenerife. He's not playing. He's playing. He's getting scarce minutes uh, ever since the Gold Cup. So he's not in form. He's not match fit. He's not in form. Are you really plugging Shaq Moore in 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 these qualifiers? Are you really putting an, a, a, a Shaq Moore not getting minutes against the Jamaica with the attacking threats that Jamaica can throw at you, or Costa Rica with the with the attacking threats Costa Rica can throw at you, or a Panama with what they've shown what they showed in September qualifiers that they could be they can have some attacking threat as well. I don't see how you do that. I don't know how you risk putting Shaq Moore on the field. I just don't see it. Serginho Dest is going to start, I would say. I think he starts right back in the first game against Jamaica. And then I see Dest starting at left back against Panama. I know George Bellows in the group. I just don't see George Bellows starting against Panama. I know I could be wrong. I didn't see Bellows starting against Honduras. But considering how bad Bellows was against Honduras, I don't know how you would start De- uh, Serginho Dest. I mean, I don't see how. You would start George George Bello against Panama. I think you go Dest at left back and DeAndre Yedlin at right back. 
I think you absolutely do that. So uh, the Sha- the Shaq, that's again, that's another reason why the Shaq Moore call up was a surprise to me. I mean, honestly, the only logical explanation I could have for the Shaq Moore thing, and I know Berhalter pointed to the experience factor and the fact that Moore just played in the Gold Cup. He played, you know, he's, he knows what Concacaf opponents are about now. He has that body of work that he's played against them. And look, he played against Jamaica. He, so he, you know, there is some understanding there. I get that, but he's not playing. He has been on the bench for the better part of more than a month now, uh, two months. And so he is not sharp. Joe Scally is playing every game, almost every minute for Mönchengladbach and at multiple positions, mind you. That's another impressive thing. Not only is this teenager, this 18-year-old, playing well every game, holding his own every game. Look, he's gotten beat here and there. He's gotten burned on an occasion, but for the most part, he's been very good at multiple positions. So this is, for, I'm, I'm, this is rant time, but I don't see how you do it. I don't see how you justify Shaq Moore over Joe Scally, especially when you have Dest and Yedlin as your kind of more experienced right-back options, right? And then you have Scally who can play left or right. He has versatility. There's no reason not to call him. None. But Berhalter pointed to the experience, pointed to the fact that, you know what, in my opinion, I feel like he still sees Scally as someone who isn't necessarily a lock to start for Mönchengladbach. He, look, let's be real. Scally has had some luck go his way in terms of injuries. Obviously, the left back gets injured uh, before the season, so he gets the chance to play left back. The right back breaks his ankle. He gets the chance to play right back. And even with that and those injuries, they still have other fullbacks, right? So there is competition there. So it, is Berhalter playing it a little too safe with this young, talented player? And that is, is he worried about calling him in and having him play, uh, be part of the October qualifiers and then potentially lose the starting job and lose the momentum that he's gaining? I could see that. I could see that. And it, to me, does that feel a little overly cautious? I, I, I think so. I think so. But... That could be part of what's driven this decision. I also can't help but wonder if Berhalter doesn't feel bad about the Shaq Moore situation. And the fact that Shaq Moore, you know, he brings him to the Gold Cup. He plays at the Gold Cup, plays well at the Gold Cup. And then it costs him his job at Tenerife. So, you know, I'm sure when he spoke to Shaq, Shaq Moore and I'm sure when he spoke to the, 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 the couple of European-based players who went to the Gold Cup... It was with the idea, and I'm sure he sold him on the idea, look, this can only help you, right? And it did help uh, Matthew Hoppy. There's no debating that. It helped Matthew Hoppy. But it definitely has not helped Shaq Moore because he's, he's not the national team starter, it, even though he was in the Gold Cup and played well. He lost his job at Tenerife. He didn't get a transfer to La Liga like Matthew Hoppy. Matthew Hoppy ended up getting a transfer to Mallorca. So everything worked out for Hoppy with the Gold Cup. But nothing's worked out for Shaq Moore with the Gold Cup. So is there some part of Berhalter that feels uh, a little bit of remorse and a little bit of, you know what, let me throw Shaq Moore a bone here because of what I have cost him and what this whole situation has cost him by having him come to the Gold Cup? Could that be part of it? Potentially. I, I could see it. I don't, I don't think Greg Berhalter would ever admit that. But I can't help but wonder if that's part of the motivation. So... 
Now, center backs, uh, we definitely have to talk about Chris Richards getting the call. And for me, obviously, as anyone knows who's listened to the show forever, I've been on the Chris Richards bandwagon forever. I've said for a while now he will eventually be a part of this group. And here he is. He's part of the group. And he, he, he absolutely could play. John Brooks is not in great form right now. There's no other way to say it. He was on the bench again. He came off the bench at halftime of, of Wolfsburg's loss to Mönchengladbach on, today on Saturday. He's not in great form. I, you know, does that mean he won't play and won't start still? Pro- he probably still starts. But uh, Chris Richards with his quality, his pa- his combination, his his combination of, of sharp passing, ex- uh, impressive athleticism, excellent speed. He just takes all the boxes. And getting more and more games with Hoffenheim is obviously helping sharpen those tools. And I think it's great that he got the call. And it wasn't a given. It was not a given when you have Matt Miazga playing every game at Alaves. Miazga just helped Alaves uh, win, beat Atletico Madrid and shut out Atletico Madrid. Matt Miazga going up against the likes of Luis Suarez and Antoine Griezmann, and they shut them out. That's impressive. you got to give him credit for that. But Chris Richards gets the call ahead of Miazga, ahead of Walker Zimmerman, although Zimmerman is now in, having replaced Tim Ream. Uh, so I, th- I think it was great to see. Great to see Richards get this opportunity because I think he has that ability. I think he has the ability to absolutely be a starter. And I know people are already sizing up the Miles Robinson, Chris Richards, center back tandem as, you know, potentially being the one down the road, right? I'm not ready to throw dirt on John Brooks just yet. I, I know he's in a rough spot right now. He's in a he's in a rough patch. He's not playing well. We know September was a rough one for him in terms of the U.S. national team and his form for the national team. And now with Wolfsburg, it's kind of bled over, and now it's not, you know what, he's not the the dominant force that he was uh, last season for them. So having said all that, I still think he's going to start at least one, if not two, of these qualifiers. Um, then it comes down to how, what, what do you do with these other guys? And Miles Robinson, I don't see him playing every minute again. Much like Tyler Adams, you don't want you, – you need to be careful with these guys. You don't want to – have a situation where, as we've seen with, with Reyna and Pulisic, where you, you miss them not only for now, if they get injured now, but then you miss them for November. And uh, so that's going to be uh, an interesting juggling act for Berhalter, especially at center back. And me personally, I don't think we'll see the three center back system in October. I don't think we'll see that. Uh, it, it, because it, it's interesting, right? So Panama... They showed some really good things in September. They really they were the surprise of September, the September uh, qualifiers. Because for me, I'm on record. I thought Panama would be the worst team in the in the octagonal. I thought they were they would be the worst team in the eight because look, they don't have star power. They've seen all of their their top players move on and and retire. And it, it's interesting now what they are doing and what their coach is doing is is that what they do have. They have a nice collection of players who have experience, but who never were the guys, who never were the Blas Perez's, Roman Torres, uh, the, the, the biggest names for Panama. But they have experience. Uh, and they've pl- there's that nucleus that has played together. So they are going to be an interesting challenge. Are they a team that that you could may, maybe ha- get away with, not necessarily your first choice center backs playing down in Panama? It's possible. Uh, and that's going to come down to Berhalter trusting these guys. And, you know, Richards, uh, McKenzie, Brooks, Robinson, uh, I have to think he trusts every single one of them enough to start 
in Panama. And I and for that reason, I think you're going to see rotation, especially at center back. And we're going to wrap last but not least. We're talking goalkeeper and Matt Turner. He's the guy. He's got to be the guy, right? He's the number one in my And I know some people will say, wait a minute, Zach Steffen, you know, he had back spasms. He had COVID. Should he lose the number one job because of those things? And I would say, look, Turner did did what he had to do. He took full advantage in September, played well. He obviously played great in the Gold Cup. He's on this outstanding run, right, for the national team. Has he had some hiccups for for New England? Where are, have there been a little some chinks in the armor there, and that he's had some little little hiccups here and there where it's not perfection, which is kind of what people have come to kind of almost expect from him after the Gold Cup. Yes, that you can say that, but he is for me. He's still going to be the number one. Does that mean he starts every game? And that's kind of I think a big question because if you're Berhalter and you know you, Stefan was your guy. Do you give him? Do you have him play a game? Do you have him start a game? He will not start against Panama. We know that. So Matt Turner should start against Panama. So then it becomes: Do you start Stefan against Jamaica, or do you go Turner against against Jamaica? So I personally, before the roster was announced, I would have said Turner starts no matter what. First game, second game, maybe you give Stefan the third game, right? I, I, I honestly, that, that was a scenario I saw. I saw Stefan playing in Columbus, obviously. Not, not that Berhalter is going to let sentiment uh, dictate his decisions, but I, I saw Stefan playing against Costa Rica, starting against Costa Rica, Costa Rica. However, now I can't help but think that if you're, if you're Berhalter and you know Turner's your guy against Panama, in Panama, are you going to take a chance playing him in this Jamaica game when you have Stefan available to play. So with that in mind, I think I'm more open to the idea that Berhalter would start Stefan against Jamaica. And I personally, I would start Turner just because of form and, and, and the rhythm that he's got, he's in right now. And, and, and now he has these games under his belt with the, with the national team and with those defenders that, you know, he has, a, he's established a relationship with those guys now, but I can see Berhalter starting Stefan against, uh, against Jamaica. And we'll get into that next episode. Uh, I know we only had the one episode these past two weeks, uh, but the plan is to ramp it back up, get us back up to two a week uh, next week. There's been a lot going on. Uh, I've been, I've been keeping busy with my, my new role at CBS sports and, but this next week, obviously with the qualifiers, it's a definitely a two episode, at least a two episode week. Uh, We have the game on Thursday, USA, Jamaica and Friday. We'll, we'll, be talking about that in detail along with previewing the Sunday game against Panama. So I would say look out for an episode Monday slash Tuesday. I'm leaning a little more towards, towards Tuesday since this episode is dropping on Saturday. Um, And I know some people, people like, wait a minute, why are you dropping this episode so late on Saturday? I just want to get this episode out because obviously there's so much to get into with the national team. I wanted to get it down, get this going. And you know what, when it comes down to it, the MLS schedule, as much as I would love to like, emphasize this weekend in the MLS MLS games, uh, it's got to take a backseat because the national team is what matters the most to the listeners, to my listeners, to the SBI readers. So that's the priority. And we needed to get this out. So back to goalkeeper. I think we go Stefan. I think Berhalter goes Stefan against Jamaica, Turner against Panama. And then, you know, uh, you could, I think you go either way. I, I think Turner starts two of these games. 
just with the form that he's in, the rhythm that he's in, and, and the games that he's you know he's playing consistently. So I think he gets to the question is which two. So that that's going to bear bear watching. Now we've completely dug into every aspect of the U.S. roster, and and we'll get into more, even more next uh, next episode. Next episode, we'll talk starting lineup against Jamaica and the challenges that Jamaica is going to present. Obviously, they're a team that had a rough September in terms of qualifiers, um, especially with that big home loss to Panama, which was kind of the that was really the the sh- the thing that shook up the the octagonal the most because I don't think anyone expected Panama to win, let alone blow out Jamaica. In Jamaica. And so obviously Jamaica with all the new players that they're bringing in and the challenges that they had getting uh, those some of those players released and available to play in the games in September. So Jamaica is a dangerous opponent because of the quality they have. Mikel Antonio, as you know, is a very dangerous player. So uh, it gives them a good attacking threat. We know about Andre Blake and goal. So we'll get into Jamaica. Obviously, next episode, we'll talk about that. But moving on and uh, before we get into Americans abroad, we do have to talk a little bit about the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame and the class that will be inducted this weekend. And the U.S. men's national team will have two players inducted, and that's Steve Chirundolo and Carlos Bocanegra. And you're talking two very deserving players. And for Chirundolo, a player who's, long, for me, I've said it many times, long overdue to be included in the Hall of Fame, and it's great. It's so fitting. And I feel like I, feel like I said this a long time ago, that it would be fitting for Bocanegra and Chirundolo to go in together. And I got it. I'll be honest. I was really, I was a little, a little annoyed when Bocanegra was voted in and Chirondolo was not. And at that point, it's kind of like, man, what a missed opportunity to have those two voted in together. And then obviously fast forward a year later, COVID uh, leads to the cancellation of last year's ceremony. And then Chirondolo gets voted in. And now we will have Bocanegra and Chirondolo longtime best buds, best friends, teammates, Southern California products. Voted in together after so many games together, World Cups, uh, so many caps together, playing side by side, and now they get to be voted in together. And I think it's great. Um, Chirondolo is such an underrated player and such a consistent, excellent player and really a trailblazer in Europe as someone who showed that that a team in Europe could invest in and rely on an American player to be a consistent, uh, iconic figure in the team. And, and I, I don't think there's another American player at this point who can say that they, they became that much of an iconic figure with for a team as Trundlo became for Hanover in, in Germany. So great to see him uh, honored. And obviously, Bocanegra, you know, former U.S. captain, 100 plus caps, multiple World Cups and, and such a important figure leader on that team uh, for several years. And, you know, just a very good player, play, you know, obviously played in Europe, played in multiple leagues at a high level. And now he's uh, now he's operating in the front office for Atlanta United and uh, already has an MLS Cup under his belt. And who knows what other trophies are coming. But as a player, there's no denying the quality that he brought and how important he was to the national team for for so many years. So congratulations to both those two and to all the inductees, including my guy, Andres Cantor, the legend. Uh, He's so deserving for him to get in there and. uh, just uh, that's uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm kind of sad that I'm not going to be there. I would love to have been in Texas for that uh, for this weekend uh, and even for and also for the game in Jamaica. I will not be in Austin. My I'll be I'll be busy working on uh, the CBS sports coverage of, of World Cup qualifying. So I'll be in I'll stay here in the east uh, on the East Coast. Uh, and hopefully, actually, the plan for me is to be 
in Columbus for U.S. Costa Rica. I'm, I'm working on that. Actually, I got to book that flight now. Hopefully, there's room. Uh, but definitely, if you're in the if you're in the Frisco area, uh, and you can uh, actually, I think this is probably going on at. People who are listening to this this now, it's probably going on right now. So ignore what I said. You can't make it. It's probably too late. But hopefully uh, enough people go out and give them. I mean, I don't even know what the setup is in terms of will they allow public there? Like what? what I don't know what's going on, but it's great that those two are in. Now, Christy Pierce Champagne was supposed to be in, included and she was included. She was elected to, to be inducted this year. Now, she. She has chosen to have her her induction deferred to next year, kind of in light of everything that's going on on the on the women's soccer front. Obviously, with the NWSL and the controversy and the uh, just the scandal surrounding NWSL, and you know, I think now's now's a good time to talk about. It. I was going to get into it a little bit later in the show, but obviously, uh, the, the report that came out this week by the Athletic detailing uh, all the kind of just the disgusting rampant. Uh, you know, sexual misconduct going on uh, with now former uh, NWSL coach Paul Riley and uh, amazing work by Meg Linehan, who is, you know, one of the best uh, journalists in America, period. Not just sports, not just soccer, just journalists like she seeing the seeing how she has kind of blossomed as this just amazing uh, reporter, journalist, uh, just it's been great to see, and and she is uh, she's absolutely a treasure for fans of women's soccer uh, who have who who have we're lucky enough to have someone like her covering it, and she's done an amazing job. And this story w- w- is just ridiculous; it's just so absurd the, the, what was going on behind the scenes. And it's great that the light has been sh- has been shown on this, and and now a lot of people have a lot to answer for. And we've already seen, obviously, Paul Riley fired. And now the the commissioner of the NWSL has, has has quit or been pushed out or fired, but Lisa Baird is out, and you know it, that had to happen when every, all the details came out about everything that was going on behind the scenes and what had been ignored. And there's a lot going on with NWSL, and it's so unfortunate that a league that has managed to survive longer than 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 all these other attempts at a women's league, so it survive it has survived this long. And there's a sense that you know, okay, th- could this be it? Because this could this finally be the solution and 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 what helps propel women's soccer into a new level? And now we get all these issues that are going on and being uncovered, and obviously everything going on with the ownership of the Washington Spirit, and and just you know, just so ridiculous that that ownership group hasn't been forced to sell, and it's just all unfortunate because you have such a opportunity there, and there's obviously some some real interest and some real support for the women's game and for this league and for these players and what's holding it back is is just uh weak leadership weak leadership and ownership and and you really hope that the people that are really holding things back are pushed out of the way and that 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 allows the game to grow and that allows women's soccer to grow and it's grown in the fact that it's grown so much in spite of all these obstacles in spite of all these things weighing the game down and holding the game back and and keeping the players back and down like it it, it's 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 inspiring but it's also obviously disappointing and it's it's obviously it's so it's so cringe it's so i mean i don't know how else to say it hopefully now that the the inspiring efforts of so many are forcing changes that need to be made 
And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing changes that absolutely need to be made. And and hopefully now this the NWSL can take that next step that it has the potential to take because you have the talent there. Uh, I mean, I don't really, I really don't think people understand the level of talent in terms of the women's soccer game as a whole and the talent and quality that the NWSL has um, that makes it for me probably it is the best, I think it's the best league in the world Women in terms of women's soccer. I know the FAWSL, you can argue some of the things they're doing with some of their teams that are really, really building strong clubs, but the quality in NWSL is for me unmatched and if they want to take full advantage of that and take full advantage of the the vibrant fan base that's there for women's soccer in this country, then you need better leaders. You need better leadership. And now, hopefully, with what's gone on here, the silver lining in this whole sordid and and disappointing and 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 just just terrible scene that's going on is that change happens and the, and the sport can grow and the league can grow. And I, and, and I f- you feel like that that's happening. You feel like there's momentum now. You feel like changes that are needed are starting to happen. And hopefully that continues. And uh, once again, absolutely kudos and congratulations and, and, and bravo to the people that are, that are really f- on the forefront of that. And whether it's the players that, are, that, that are, that are putting themselves on the line to, to call out the injustices to, May, uh, re- the reporters like McLenahan, who are doing that kind of uh, invaluable, vital reporting to, to to bring light to these things, and and that's that is what's going to help make changes, and and we're already starting to see that, so that's great to see. Now I feel like we talked enough about the U.S. men's national team and and players that make up a large contingent of Americans abroad, so we'll we'll skip any more Americans abroad discussion because this episode's already gone super long. Apologies for that, but we'll get into MLS and obviously the MLS, the MLS schedule in the middle of the week was stacked. And just to give you the quick rundown, some of the highlights, Atlanta beating Miami. That's a big win for Atlanta. TFC beating Cincinnati in the battle of of teams that are not making the playoffs. DC United with the big win at home against Minnesota, New England with the four, one win in Montreal. They are rolling towards that supporter's shield. And guess what? New England has the week off now, fully deserved. Uh, Matt Turner had a chance to see Matt Turner uh, on Friday. And, he, you know, he's a New Jersey Jersey boy, by the way. Uh, and they're having just an amazing season. And they, you know, once international breaks over, you want to see what happens. And if the, the supporter shield is theirs, right? They're going to win that. But you want to see if they can ride that momentum into a first MLS Cup title. And obviously with Bruce Arena at the helm, that's a very, very strong possibility. You have the Union and Red Bulls play to a 1-1 draw. The Chicago Fire defeating NYCFC 2-0. And obviously there was a coaching change with the Fire. Raphael Wicke uh, was uh, dismissed as head coach. And that's an interesting one because, as I've been saying for weeks now, the Fire are very much a team that um, they show potential at times. They play well at times for stretches. They have these games. They have these stretches in games where you see the the ability, but the consistency has continued to elude them. And that ultimately is what cost Rafael Wicke his job. Uh, Frank Klopas is, is is in as the interim coach now. And I, I got to see. I don't know. I would love to know what the all-time standings are for the all-time interim coach appointments and who's the all-time career leader in most times being named interim head coach. I think Klopas and Richie Williams are probably – at the top of that list. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if Opta keeps those kind of stats, but I'm curious to see what happens there. Um, but the fire, they've got, they've got a lot of changes to make in terms of the structure of that team. Um, 
and it's a very it's a very international team, right? When you look at at the at the makeup and and it kind of would one of the things missing there, you, you you definitely don't feel like there's enough of a a kind of an American nucleus, and that's to say that not every team not every team has to have all Americans or even mostly Americans, but when you look at the teams that do pretty well, they usually have at least a, a good strong nucleus of American players. And the fire is really just kind of this mishmash of international players. There's talent, no question, but the consistency has always eluded this group. And, and you got to feel maybe part of that is because there is not that American foundation, that foundation of American players. It just not, it just isn't there. They have a couple of American players, but they don't have the foundation like you see with some of the other top teams in MLS. So we'll see what the fire can do. With that, you obviously have the Columbus Crew defeating Cruz Azul in the Campeones Cup. And I don't know what else to say there. It's been a really bad season for Columbus. So maybe now with this, winning that trophy, it can, it helps continue to give them momentum. And what do you know? We have a Columbus Crew player on, Miguel Barra. We had him on last week. And they go and win a trophy. So maybe, hopefully that's a, a, a message to everyone that, look, if you're about to play for a trophy, uh, have have one of your players come on the SBI show and that'll help you win that trophy. So, you know, there's obviously a correlation there. Uh, uh, you obviously have Sporting KC winning in Dallas, beating Dallas uh, 3-1. We know FC Dallas uh, recently fired Lucci Gonzalez, so they're obviously in limbo. They're not going to make the playoffs. All apologies to Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferreira and all the young players there. They're not making the playoffs. And uh, Kansas City continues to roll. Daniel Shaloy continues to have an amazing season. Talk about taking a step up. And now he's called up to the Hungarian national team. And everything's going great for Shaloy. And credit to Peter Vermees with the work that he's done with Shaloy to really kind of help him reach this level. Uh, we've always seen sh- uh, flashes of potential and stretches of, of that quality. But he has really put it together. So great to see there. Nashville and Orlando 2-2 tie. Rapids smoke Austin 3-0 in, in Colorado. Dynamo Whitecaps 0-0. Salt Lake defeat the Galaxy 2-1. David Ochoa uh, beating his uh, hometown team, the Galaxy, there. And RSL, how about gets, this give Pablo Mastrani a little credit there. Interim coach has Salt Lake kind of holding on and, and, and staying in that fight for the playoffs. Then you have the Timbers beating LAFC. Seattle beating San Jose. And that was your entire Wednesday MLS slate. Way too many games. Way too many games. But good news is there's a whole other slate of games going on on Saturday. Uh, Actually, they're spread out over Saturday and Sunday. So you get six games on Saturday, uh, seven games on Sunday. And I'm going to rattle them off for you real quick. I'll tell you who my picks are in terms of of bets. And uh, we'll start. Obviously, Austin and RSL play the first game of the weekend. That's at 3.30. Chances are you are not listening to this before that game. Um, But if by some chance you do listen to it, you're about to make your bet, I would say go Austin. For some reason, I just think Austin... Is gonna is gonna knock off RSL as much as RSL should be gaining a little momentum and, and they had the nice win at the middle of the week. Give me Austin. Um, that's a tough one. Yeah, I'll go Austin. RSL at plus one eighty is tempting, but I, for some reason I just feel like Austin's gonna play spoiler and beat and beat uh, beat RSL. But hopefully if you're listening to this and I'm wrong. It's too late for you to bet. So there you go. Uh, next up, Montreal hosting Atlanta United. And Atlanta United plus two sixty, and it's interesting. I think the I think Vegas is giving Montreal a lot of respect because of the results, but I don't know if their quality matches their record. And I'm not sold. I haven't been sold on Montreal, so I'm going Atlanta plus two sixty. Give me them to win this game in 
Atlanta. I really think the, the air is going to start coming out of the balloon for Montreal. Give me Atlanta plus 260. Cincinnati and the Red Bulls. And we all know about the Red Bulls' struggles at, at, on the road. But Cincinnati is just, they're, they're not good. They're not good. And uh, obviously they, they have gotten rid of Yap Stam as, as head coach. And I don't really think that's going to help much. Um, so I think the, I think this is a perfect game. With the Red Bulls in the run of form that they've been on, uh, they've put together a good unbeaten run to help kind of nudge them into the playoff race. But I think they get all three points here. Take the Red Bulls plus 110 in Cincinnati. You have Orlando City at home against DC United at uh, Orlando plus 145. DC United plus 150. It's, it's a bit of a coin toss there. Orlando at home. Give me Orlando at home. Plus 145 is a good, I think it's a good number as much as DC is gaining a little bit of momentum. Orlando's in a bit of a bit of a slump. But Darryl DK has been finding the net, and I think DK finds the net against DC. Give me Orlando City plus 145. Next up, FC Dallas at home against Minnesota United. And Dallas, uh, you know, the wheels have come off. Obviously, they got rid of Lucha Gonzalez. And Minnesota United, they need this one as much as Minnesota United is not a great road team. And I think that's why the price is what the price is. Minnesota is at plus 220 in Frisco. And we all know this is, you know, obviously Hall of Fame weekend down in Frisco. A lot of celebrating going on. Um, FC Dallas plus 105. I don't like that price. Give me Minnesota all day plus 220 to win that one. And you know what? If you're looking at draws... Plus 240, the Minnesota-Dallas draw. That might be one to put a little, put a nickel on or put something on. But I'm taking Minnesota United. Next up, Vancouver Whitecaps, San Jose Earthquakes. Whitecaps have done a little something since they made their coaching change. But I'm still not convinced. And the Earthquakes, uh, coming off to some of their performances recently, I like the Earthquakes on the road, especially at plus 200. Give me the Earthquakes plus 200. Next up, NYCFC at home versus Nashville. And look, Nashville is a very tough team, right? You got to give them that. Uh, having said that, NYCFC on the small field at Yankee Stadium, they're due as much as they've kind of been struggling a little bit for results. Obviously, we know they lost the Derby last week. Surprisingly, uh, midweek didn't necessarily go that way either. So now here they are. They need these three points. And I think they get it. I think they beat Nashville. Take, take NYCFC. I will, you know what? The price is not great, minus 140. But I really feel like NYCFC is going to win. But if you're looking for a an underdog, if you're looking for a nice price to chase, Nashville at plus 320 is a pretty juicy number for a good team in Nashville and a team that with their ability in the in the penalty area and, and set piece threat, the aerial threat on that small field, you get you get the throw-in threat they could absolutely cause wreak some havoc on NYCFC. So if you're looking for an, a long shot there, take Nashville plus 320. I personally think NYCFC wins this game. Next up, Toronto FC, Chicago Fire. Obviously, we know the Fire have made a coaching change there. You want to see how that affects them. They've been bad on the road all year. So that's why TFC is the favorite there, plus 100. We know TFC has been underachieving all year. I'm going to go TFC, take TFC plus 100. Next, you have Sporting KC against Houston Dynamo. Dynamo all day. They're minus one eighty five. It's not a great price. Not not you're not going to make much money betting on KC, but KC should roll in this one. If you can get goals, get goals, and then and help your price there because I think they're going to romp over the Dynamo. I think they're going to at least win by at least two goals, maybe three goals. Kansas City rolls. Take Kansas City minus one eighty five. Then you have Union and Columbus on Sunday also uh, in Philly. Uh, Columbus coming off that Campeones Cup win, and uh, Philly look Philly's tough at home. And it, they're hard to bet against. So even if the price isn't great, minus 180, you got to go the Union. If you're looking for a long shot, Columbus at 410, plus 410. That's a that's a pretty interesting price. 
if you're looking for a long shot, you could do worse than that. That's not a bad long shot price, but I'm taking the Union. I think the Union should win at home. Next up, Portland Timbers at Inter-Miami. Portland at home, minus 180. Inter-Miami, they don't necessarily travel well. They have to go all the way across the country. Give me the Timbers all day. I think the Timbers roll. Then you have El Trafico. I hate the term. I hate the label. I never really, I never use it in writing, but I'm saying it here, El Trafico, because people know it. L.A. Derby, L.A. Galaxy, LAFC, uh, two teams who need this. They both need the win. LAFC needs it a bit more. Obviously, there's players missing. You have injuries. L.A. Galaxy's been been in a real inconsistent run of form. They've really been struggling for points. So this is a, an interesting one. This is a tough one to call. I like uh, give me LAFC. Give me LAFC plus 150 as much as the Galaxy being at home. I could see picking the Galaxy, but I don't know why I'm going LAFC plus 150. Take LAFC. Last but not least, what really is probably the best game of the weekend that you know people might might kind of overlook because of everything else going on and because it's the last game of the weekend and because it's Sunday at 10 p.m. And by then, everyone's kind of winding down. Seattle against Colorado. I think this is a good one. This is going to be a very good one. Colorado, obviously, they're better at home than they are on the road. But uh, but Seattle, man, they're, they're they're so tough. They're so tough at home. And this price, should, I will say this, Colorado's getting some respect because the fact that Seattle is only minus 105 at home shows you that the Rapids are finally starting to get some of the respect that they deserve. But with that, having said that, give me the Sounders. Minus 105. I think they're, you know, they're at home. I think they take care of business. So give me the Sounders. Minus 105 over the Rapids. And I think that's it. I think that wraps it up for this episode. Apologies again for the uh, for the delay in getting an episode out. I know we only had the one episode this week. We will get back rolling on the two episodes a week uh, schedule uh, starting next week. And uh, there's there obviously going to be there's plenty to there's going to be plenty to talk about with uh, the World Cup qualifiers coming up, breaking down, previewing and uh, analyzing the matches and uh, previewing them, looking at the lineups ahead. Look out for that on Tuesday. We'll have that next episode on Tuesday. And uh, it's going to be an interesting week weekend. It's already been an interesting week. You have Joe Scali scoring the, the goal, his first Bundesliga goal. You have Gianluca Busio scoring his first Serie A goal. And how old are these kids? They're teenagers. It just shows you. It's it's unbelievable seeing this generation uh, really come together. And uh, and hopefully they, you know, hopefully you see Gian, Gianluca Busio be able to trans translate that over to the to the men's to U.S. men's national team. And I think he is going to be one of the players who really shines in this window. I just I just feel it. Just watching him, and obviously with my job now, I, I am watching a lot more Serie A. And I've watched a lot of Venezia, and he is playing with such a confidence right now, such a poise that he is going to be a different kind of player once he plays in these qualifiers. He will not be the player we saw struggle at times in the Gold Cup. I really believe that. I really think Busio is going to have a big, big October window. So looking forward to seeing that. But once again, thank you for listening. And just a quick update on SBI Soccer. Uh, and I think I mentioned it. I feel like I mentioned it last episode, uh, but uh, in case you missed it or in case I didn't get into it enough, starting again in October, I am bringing back the editorial staff at SBI Soccer. And for those who missed it or, or weren't paying attention uh, in the summer, I had changed things up. And my plan was to make SBI turn SBI back into just my writing and just me writing everything and having it be the showcase for for my my content and my in my articles and, and eventually videos and, and 
and podcasts, obviously. But how this, you know, things change and opportunities arise. And now, now I have this opportunity with CBS Sports that I'm working with them now. And that's really on the TV side. And that's really been just this great opportunity for me. And so I've had to kind of shift things around and change strategy. And the good news is that I'm the staff, a lot of the staff is coming back and we're going to get SBI back rolling to the way it used to be in terms of just kind of consistent uh, content. And we are definitely looking to expand. There are going to be some changes in terms of the look of the site uh, in the future. I, I, there are a lot of plans in the works to revamp the site and get the site to a really good place. And I am looking for writers. So if you're listening to this or if you know someone who's a writer and is looking for a place to write, definitely reach out to me. Send me an email at soccerbyivis at gmail.com. And, uh, and we'll see. We'll see who, if we can find some new uh, some new players to, to join the squad. And obviously, we have a really good squad coming back um, to get things back going again. And I, I still will write, obviously, for the site. But it'll be good to have the team back again as I focus my energies for, you know, pretty much uh, full-time working with CBS, but I will obviously be doing my writing and covering the na the national men's national team, covering uh, Americans abroad, and, and I'll still be doing that, but we'll have the staff handling a good portion of our coverage, and whether it's MLS, Americans abroad, U.S. men's national team, and we're looking to expand depending on, like, how, once we start adding more more writers to the staff, we're definitely looking to expand, and, and hopefully we can make SBI once again uh, one of the go-to sites for for your American soccer coverage. Um, so that's it. That's all. And uh, once again, thank you for listening. And definitely join me next week as we preview the upcoming qualifiers, break down the squad, and discuss all things American soccer. Uh, because yes, this is a great time right now. Obviously, it's a it's been a little bit of a it's been a little bit of a you know a roller coaster. There's obviously been negatives and positives. We we know about the the negatives with with what's going on in the women's soccer scene with the NWSL, and, and there are the positives. Obviously, as for example, this weekend with the Hall of Fame induction, Chirundolo, Bocanegra, Jaime Moreno, um, Andres Cantor, uh, just so many legends that you know are going to get their deserved due this weekend and obviously we have the Americans abroad playing this weekend there's still some matches Serginho Des Weston McKinney you'll have a lot we'll have a lot to dig into in the next episode but that's all for now I'm Ivis Galarza this is the SBI show